he turns it into a step-by-step system that a team member can follow. That way it happens consistently. It's someone's responsibility and there's a specific task that needs to be completed. And when you get your business to that point where you've got a collection of systems for each of the different departments and then you hire great team members, you really create something that's you know unstoppable. Hey everyone, and welcome to Conversations with Bacon. I hope you're all safe and well wherever you may be. It's great to have you here. Now, before I go on, be sure to go and check out my latest book, People Powered How Communities Can Supercharge Your Business Brand and Team. It's available in all good bookshops and maybe lying on the side of the road or stuffed into libraries because people don't want to read it. You decide how that particular thing works. Okay, but much more importantly than any of my self promotion, I'm excited to bring on David Jennings onto the show. How are you doing, David? Yeah, fantastic. So pumped to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm so thrilled to have you on. You were introduced to me through Paul Higgins, who has just been an absolute goldmine of, in, of introducing me to notable Australians to come on the podcast, which has been fantastic. So let's, let me dig into your rap sheet, first of all. So you've got a really interesting and a very diverse, diverse career. So you used to uh, run a company called Melbourne Video Production, and this was all about helping small, medium, and large-sized businesses tell their stories through uh, web video. Um, you were also running Melbourne SEO services, which is understandable, uh, well, unsurprisingly, about SEO, search engine optimization. Um, you're a summit host at the, the Business Systems Summit. Um, but I think what people know you for more is systemology and system hub. And you are basically a, an expert when it comes to business systems. And that's what I'm really excited to bring on because I'm a bit of a business systems dork. <laughs> so I'm excited to bring you on so we can really dig into this in more detail. Is that a fair summary of your experience? Is there anything I've left out? Like, did you tour with you 2 or something? <laughs> <laughs> like a lot of entrepreneurs, I think I've tried a little bit of everything and started different <laughs> crazy businesses. The one that wasn't mentioned in there, I actually used to own a rock and roll clothing music store called Planet 13, and we had three stores and we franchised one of them. Um, really? Yeah. So there's, there's a few other little uh, wow. side detours along the way. That's fascinating. And is that when you say rock and roll clothing, is that like kind of hot topic here in the US, like selling oh. Metallica t shirts to 16 year olds? 100%. In fact, that's who we modeled on. We tried to bring hot topic here to Australia. So that was my business partner. He was big into the music space. So you just got it in one. Oh, nice. Yeah. I, I When I was 15, 16 years old, I was an avid customer of such establishments, shall we say. I had a massive collection of black t-shirts that my uh, now wife made me throw out when I moved to California. I'm not bitter. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about, about business systems. Um, now, how do you define I mean, these are two mm. quite broad words, and I think we all have a, a sense of understanding about what it means when you put these two words together. But what do you define as business, a business system? Yeah. Um, I, I, what I try and do is I really try to simplify because a lot of people have words like standard operating procedure, SOP, checklist, how-to documents, systems, uh, and I just bundle them all together to say, okay, these are business systems. Now, a business system for me is just a consistent set of steps that when followed create a consistent outcome 
So it's a consistent set of steps that when followed create a consistent outcome. And what I like about that definition is it works at the really small level, like down to the how to invoice someone through your favorite um, financial package, or it could also work up at the high level, like the step-by-step process for delivering a project. So a high level system that a project manager might follow. There's so much that we can unpack here. And I'd like to broadly just start out by talking about manual systems, and then we can dig into some more automated systems. So Mm. I think we've all been in a position where you work for a business or you're running a business and you've got a, a system that you need to put together to collaborate effectively with other people. So let's first of all talk about the the, the manual or the, you know the cl- way where you're essentially gluing different people together in a different way. So let me give you an example. Like I have uh, an assistant who helps kind of format a whole load of content that I put together. I generate quite a bit of content, and I started out by essentially documenting. Okay, well, when the content's produced, the, this is how you put it into YouTube and this is how you put it onto my blog and this is how we write the social media messages and how these different pieces fit together. Is that what you think of when you're thinking of a business system? Is it is it uh, essentially mm. a blueprint or a recipe book for, for how something gets done? Yeah, I think that a business is a system in itself. So at the high level, the result that you get out of your business is the result of running that system. And then when we drill in a little bit deeper, then you've got these different like departments or components that make up that bigger system. So that might then be your sales, your marketing, your HR, your finance, your management, your operations. So each one of those is then a, almost like a, a subsystem that lives under that bigger system that is your business. And then you can break it down even further. Then there's a set of uh, systems and processes that deliver, like live underneath that department, and the the way that they run is is what gives the health of that particular department. So it's yeah, it's uh, uh, and it depends on what we're talking about, which function within a business. But that's really all it is. Some are conscious, some are unconscious. Like you might have a way of doing things and there is a system and a process there. It's just not documented or captured. And sometimes you have other ones that are documented. So it's um, just because it's not documented doesn't mean that you don't have a system there. So is there a difference between a system and a process? Because they sound like the same, they sound like different words for the same thing, potentially. Yeah. In my way of looking things, I have lumped them all together underneath that term business systems, just for simplification. When you get down to it, there are some nuances and differences with those words and procedure as well and process. Um, But for me, yeah, I just, I find that's one of the things, like you mentioned right at the start, for some people, their eyes glaze over when you talk about business systems. Yet for me, somehow I'm looking at them differently because I see them as the building blocks of a business. So as soon as you see those and then you realize the health of your business um, is really dictated by the health of those systems. And then that's, I think, where I get excited because then I start to realize, you know, I've, I've fallen in love with the result of what business systems brings. It's not like I get excited by writing a deep, detailed step-by-step process, but I love seeing what detailed step-by-step processes um, can give to a business. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, 
it reminds you what you're saying reminds me of um, something that Alan Dibb, who was previously on the show, um, mentioned in his book, where he said, where he's talking about um, marketers when they're building marketing systems, um, is that what drives a lot of this is you're essentially developing a marketing machine, right? I mean, if we look at a typical funnel from when someone clicks on an ad, it takes them to a landing page. There's some information on a landing page that gets them excited to sign up for something. They sign up for it. They start receiving a series of emails. Um, and then eventually everybody gets nurtured to a point where they're open to you know, a conversation, a call, a sale, something along those lines. And one of the things that Alan talked about in his book was you know, so many people, when they're when they're building businesses, they're so focused on the manual execution of tasks, and they don't focus enough on building a machine because then the machine becomes an asset to your business. And it sounds like your philosophy is very similar to that, right? Mm. Well, when we think about you know your business being a collection of systems, and then we think about those departments, really the game is to identify. 20% of the systems that deliver the 80% of the result for that particular department. And that's the machine that he's talking about. You're finding the minimum viable set of systems that means that you can deliver the result for your clients. Now, the result is you need to be delivering value through to those clients over a consistent period. So if, if you figure out what those minimum systems are, how you grab their attention, how you sell your prospect, how you then deliver or onboard the, the prospect or the client now into your business, how do you deliver the core product or service, and then how do you get them to come back? Just that alone is almost like the the 20% of the systems that deliver the 80% of the result for the business. A lot of people, they they end up systemizing things that don't really have an impact um, and they think they're doing kind of some busy work and they get distracted. I I think one thing I like about um, Alan Dibb's work uh, is uh, it's quite rare oftentimes to see someone who's quite creative thinking in terms of systems. And marketing is a creative endeavor. And systems oftentimes, um, you know, it's more of this procedural way of doing things. You know, we're crossing the T's, dotting the I's. It's a real detail-orientated thing. And to see someone go, hey, there are systems in marketing and marketing is really, really creative. But Alan identifies the 20% of the systems that deliver the bulk of the result for that marketing department. He captures how is that done? He turns it into a step-by-step -step system that a team member can follow. That way it happens consistently. It's someone's responsibility and there's a specific task that needs to be completed. And when you get your business to that point where you've got a collection of systems for each of the different departments and then you hire great team members, you really create something that's, you know, unstoppable. Yeah. And you actually just reminded me as you were talking as well that I was wrong earlier on. It wasn't Paul who introduced me to you. It was Alan. You see, I've got so, there's so many, so many connections over in Australia, yeah. <laughs> mixing everybody up. You're becoming um, like the celebrity over here I in Australia. I, I don't know. I think Australia's had a slow month. Um, so. Um, yeah. So I think you raise a really interesting point there where kind of seeing these systems as an investment that's worthwhile, right? Um, I'd like to break this into two pieces. When you're working with companies and where you're, you know, I mean, you're an expert in this and you will have, I'm sure, talked to hundreds and hundreds of different entrepreneurs about 
the relevance and the importance of 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 these kinds of business systems and processes i imagine that there is there are some things that different like there are some people who take this stuff really seriously and they see the value of it and they focus on it and it's 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 at the front of their mind. And there are some people where it will feel like work to them, where they'll have to be convinced and reminded of the value of this. What do you need, what needs to happen to get people to focus on this being an important part of how they run their business? What's missing for the people who are not seeing that? I think the biggest thing I find is if someone's been in business for more than a few years, if they've got product to market fit, so they're aware of who their target client is and the problems that they're having, and they know their product or service solves that problem, they're getting some good results, they're getting a little bit of traction, they've got some team members around them. I would say they're probably less than, you know, oh, so it's probably somewhere between maybe five and 25 staff. If you're in that sweet spot and you're still the business owner and you're finding that everything's bottlenecking through you, I find if I speak to those people, they're already sold on the idea of business systems because they've read the books. They read the e-myth. They read Traction or Built to Sell or Scaling Up. Like There's a lot of books in that business space that really speak to the idea of business systems and why they're important. So oftentimes... I'll have the discussion and they'll say, look, we know business systems are important, but, and then all of this stuff comes out, this baggage that they've been holding onto. It's things like, but I've tried to systemize in the past and it didn't work, or I'm going to need hundreds of systems and I'm not really a systems person, or I'm worried that systems will remove the creativity in my business, or I'm going to create systems and my team won't follow them anyway. So what's the point? So there's a lot of this extra baggage that floats around. And a lot of the work that I do is specifically addressing those. And if I can get someone to relook at business systems, because they know they're important, they just never get to them because oftentimes the business owner is the worst person to be creating the systems and the processes, yet they feel like it's their responsibility. So they never get around to it and then they've got all of this baggage and they've tried once or twice and it might not have worked for them. Oftentimes, though, it's their approach. So I try and get them to retest their assumptions. And I say, look, if your business depends on you, it's broken and there's no way that you can build a business that grows beyond you without having systems and processes in place. Like this is a bridge that every business owner at some point in time must cross if they want to grow a business beyond them. And they, they get that intuitively. So then it becomes more of a question of, okay, well, how do I get started or how do I get over some of these myths and misconceptions that I might have? Mm. And how do they get started? Like if you've got somebody who they're on the fence, they're probably incredibly busy they've got a billion other things to do and they're thinking okay i probably should go and um consider my business systems and optimize and improve them um so they're seeing the value of it but they may be thinking you know what this feels like alphabetizing my cd collection Mm -hmm. it feels like work where i'm not going to see an immediate sense of gratification out of it how would you present that to them in a way or what would you recommend to them so they can see the value of that initial short-term work um and that Mm. will buy them kind of more credencing and continuing 
One of the first things, and it really hits on a couple of points that you mentioned there, and I'd like to kind of reshape the way that people think about business systems. Because when I say business systems to a lot of people, automatically something pops into their brain and about what they believe a business system looks like. Now, when I do this to bigger groups, I'll often say to them, uh, what is the first business that comes to mind when you think about a systemized business? And usually the first one that comes up quite frequently is McDonald's. And then McDonald's has been in the game systemizing their business for 60 years. And people look at that business as a very, you know, mature and complete business. And they go, wow, they've got great business systems. I should have business systems like McDonald's. And they forget that the way that McDonald's systems are today are not the way that they were 60 years ago when they get started. So I said, you don't want business systems like McDonald's today. You want business systems like McDonald's had 60 years ago. So then I suggest that they go and hire the movie The Founder, which tells the Ray Kroc story with um, great Michael, movie. Michael King. Great movie. Love that. And you, you'll remember since you've seen it right at the start of the film, he goes out onto this um, basketball court and he gets a piece of chalk out and they're mapping out the layout of a McDonald's store and they're saying do we put the cash register here are we going to put the drink machine right near the drive through window we're going to have the griller over here and they go through that thinking and they move things around oh that doesn't work that next to that we want to have the thick shake machine right next to the drinks let's move that over here and it's that is the very raw first level of systems. So I try and get business owners to understand that um, just having them raw, and that might be as simple as a Loom or a Zoom or recording on your iPhone, um, a very basic video might be a great start. And then from that basic video, you pull out uh, a few of the bullet points from that video, very raw just to get started. And that that's part of the process on starting to go, oh, wow, this can be easier than I thought. Not only that, then we talk about the 80-20. So imagine your business has 10 to 15 core systems that help you to deliver your primary product or service. Just focus on getting those down and also understand that you want to hire great staff and great staff, you don't need to take it down to painstaking detail where you're saying, now left click on file, now left click on open, now left click on find file. Like for great staff, that's really painful for them. You've, you've got to let them uh, sort of be able to show some initiative here. We don't, we don't want to build up robots and we're not building a hamburger business that's taking 15-year-old kids off the street and teaching them how to flip hamburgers over the weekend and they haven't had any work experience. You might be hiring great, talented staff. And in that situation, a system should be more like a, a set of guidelines and rules to kind of point them in the right direction for those most important tasks and functions in the business. So with a little bit of that, you know, starting to change your thinking about what a systemized business looks like, I, I have this exercise um, and it's the first chapter in the systemology book. It's very easy. You don't even need to get the book 
to understand this exercise, you can do it right now. You get out yourself an A4 bit of paper and this answers the question, if I'm going to systemize my business, where do I get started? What are the first 10 to 15 systems? And in the top left-hand corner of your page, you write down who is your target client. That is, who pays your advertised prices, who's a pleasure to deal with, who refers friends and family, and who is it that you just want more of? So that's your dream client. Underneath that, you write down what is the primary product or service that you would sell to them first that introduces them to the rest of your business and the rest of your product line. So it's usually the gateway product or service. Maybe it's an audit. Maybe it's the first little sampler of your product. Think about what that starting product is. And then on the rest of the A4 page, we just work down the page, and this is what's called the critical client flow. We map the linear journey that the prospect, and then as it turns into the client and the business goes through to deliver that core product or service. So we start off at the top. How do you grab their attention? Then we move down the page. How do you handle the incoming inquiry? Then move down the page. Each one of these is just a box and there's not more than two or three words in that box. It's very high level. So attention might be LinkedIn marketing and it might be search engine optimization or whatever it ends up being. Um, Part of the secret for this exercise is to capture what you are currently doing not what you would like to be doing. Oh, I see. Right. So, so that way we, we start off by mapping out this page as we move down, you know, we, we handle the inquiry, we move into the sales process. Um, then do you take money? Like do you take 50% up front or 50% on completion or do you take all the money up front or all on completion? Keep moving down the page. How do you onboard that client into your business? How do you then deliver your core product or service? Now, That one's a funny one because that's where everybody's mind jumps and goes, oh, but there's hundreds of steps underneath here. And I just say, just call it deliver core product. And then we kind of move down. And then the last one is how do we do some sort of handover and repeat? And just by doing this exercise at a very high level, you understand the way that your business makes money. It's who's it working with, like the the Um, target client, what is the core product or service we're selling them? And then what is that linear journey? And what are you currently doing, not what you would like to be doing? And then that is actually the starting point. That becomes the map of if we could systemize this, if we could actually capture how this is done, then effectively what we're doing is, is we're making the business to be able to deliver that core product or service without key person dependency. And that's that's such like that's the one of the first goals inside systemology is to how do we get the business owner and key team members out of the delivery of that core product or service? So it's a, a nice and easy exercise to get started and answer that question. I love that. Well, where do I start? Start with those fifteen. It's so funny you say that because it, one of the things I've been reading about quite a bit recently is that you know if you want to get anybody to do anything new you have to break it down into a set of really clear step-by-step pieces that people can follow. Um, I've been reading this book by a guy called Jason Fladlian about webinars. And he's saying there's a tendency with people who do webinars to kind of overdo the amount of content because they want to add value. And his point is it's better teaching people less 
and giving them the right order of events to do so. And it sounds like part of what you're trying to do here with systemology is how do we boil arguably a quite complex and varied state of circumstances for how people design business systems from anything from a florist through to a multinational software company? How do you boil that down into a simple and effective process that people can follow, right? Exactly. And for me, that's the sign of a great system is something that can be applied to multiple different scenarios and still produce a very good result. And that comes from, I didn't mention it right at the start with my rap sheet there. Um, I, I used to also be involved in the stock market education space. And we used to design trading systems for people. And I remember systems that you would over-optimize to historical data um, tended to perform less well in the real world. So a lot of people would sit there and they'd backtest their trading systems. They'd be looking for the perfect entry and the perfect exit and getting their position right. And they would do all of that based on historical data. And they would completely over-optimize the situation to that historical data. So if the past happened again exactly in that same way, the system would be tremendously successful. But the reality is then when we trade it with real-time data, the systems that were over-optimized to that historical data performed worse than something that was a bit more general that could handle these Ah. general market conditions. And now when I think of business systems, I actually think the same way. I don't want to over-optimize the situation to say when the customer comes in and they say this exact line and then they stand in this exact spot and this and this and this and all of these things have to happen before you could move to the next step, then any time that one of those is out, then the team member doesn't know what to do and go, ah, this doesn't match what the system says. The system's broken. I'm going to have to make it up as we go. So a good system is able to um, be be general enough that it handles 80% of the situations. And I I think of that in terms of systemology too. Like I, I know it's a great system. We designed it as such that that framework of the critical client flow fits in with all businesses. All businesses need to get their client's attention. They need to handle that inquiry. They need to sell them. They need to onboard them. They need to deliver the core product or service and they need them uh, to, to come back or at least refer some friends and family. So capturing that first and really getting the essence of what the business is works in all scenarios. You just made me think of something. Um bit of a devil's advocate question for you, David. So I love these. Yeah, this is always this is always fun. So I think one of the things and, and I'm gonna I'm gonna be projecting a little bit of myself here. Mm, please, please. Um one of the things that I think a lot of people struggle with, and I certainly do when it comes to any kind of structured flow, is there's kind of a logical argument. I think everything you've said so far, I think anyone with half a brain cell will appreciate the importance and the value of putting the right systems in place. But I get the impression that a lot of people, um, even though that makes absolute eminent logical sense, will will find that sometimes systems are a little too constraining, a little too stiff and rigorous, mm. right? Like uh, This is one of the reasons why, for example... I have always struggled with to-do lists, arguably a very basic system. When I have something to do, I put it on a list, I review the list, and I do the things on the list. Um, 
And I personally have found myself wrestling with the fact that when I get into work, what I enjoy about doing, what, what I enjoy about running my business is the sense of freedom and discovery and all that kind of stuff. And I have so many lists I have to deal with, right? There's a list of clients to invoice that my bookkeeper takes care of. There's a list of emails that I need to respond to. There's a list of items that I need to tend to uh, with my own business, as well as the the work of my clients. So where do you find the balance where Mm. you've got a process that makes absolute logical sense? You can demonstrate the efficiency and the efficacy of it beyond any shadow of a doubt. But there's that human element of, I just don't want to go through this. Mm. I just don't want to do this because it feels like I'm a robot. How how do you tend to, because that's a psychological yeah. thing, right? How do you deal with that? Absolutely fantastic question and speaks right to what 90% of the listeners are feeling right now. And there's a few reasons for that. One is the type of uh, person that you are in the business. I'm guessing that you are that you're the leader, you are the visionary creative, you are the person who has the big pictures and I mean you probably can get down into the detail, but your preference is probably you know solving those big problems, moving quickly, starting things, solving problems. That's really where you do some of your best work. A lot of startup founders and business owners are that type of person. Now, that is a little bit different from a manager, someone who um, in uh, there's a book by Gino Wickman he, he, uh, called Rocket Fuel, and he, he talks about this visionary and this integrator. And that the, per- the second person I'm talking about now is this integrator, this m- person who um, is a great manager of people. They're wired a little bit different. They do like systems, process, and detail. So as the business grows, a lot of great companies, they end up getting this yin to the business owner's yang. And we're talking about that operations manager who really complements where the business owner might be weaker on the systems and the process side of things. I mean, for me, I'm like you. I'm a visionary creative. I actually don't like writing systems and processes. I'm not a detailed person as far as like, you know, hopping into a a document and doing the bullet points and taking the screenshots and all that. I mean, that's just not my thing. What I did was I fell in love with the result of what the business systems bring. So I've now seen many businesses that run with systems in place versus those that don't, and it really is light and day. So that's the first thing to understand the perspective of that person is to go, ha, huh, I I don't like that. Therefore, the rest of my team won't like that. And they might even reach the conclusion that, hey, I'm not a systems person. Therefore, I can't run a systems business, which, which I'm about to challenge and say that's, um, I want you to think of this differently. Um, I remember when I had the video production business, that one of the very first shoots I went on with the videographer um, now, now, just one little point there, uh, the video business is a highly, highly creative business. Every video that shoots out the other end is a little bit different. Every client brief is a little bit different. And the person who's making the video, the videographer, is basically an art person. So that they really, uh, if you first say business systems, they will immediately push back because in their head they go, no, nah, 
systems remove the creativity. Um, that's not what we want here. So, but I remember going on this shoot with uh, one of my videographers, very first time we were starting the business up, and in the car we probably spent forty five minutes on the way to the shoot. Him thinking, oh, did I bring that extra battery? Did I get that second lens? Have I got everything that I need? Did we email the client to make sure that they're going to wear the right clothes and not have checks on their shirts? Like we spent basically the entire ride trying to think about those little things that should have just been handled. And I remember we worked on uh, the business systems in that video production business for about four or five months after that because I wanted to go out onto the shoot because I wasn't a camera guy, uh, but I wanted to go out onto the shoot to understand what was going on. And then we built some systems in the processes. One of the early ones was uh, the shoot checklist. So before he would go out on shoot, he would make sure he filled out his kit correctly and he had everything he needed, got the extra tripod, had the extra backup camera, made sure all the batteries were low, uh, like charged. And then I went out on another shoot with him after we got that checklist in place. And then I remember... The experience was totally different in the car. We spent the 45-minute drive discussing the shot list, discussing how we wanted to frame things, how the story was going to go. And it made me realize what you want to be doing is you systemize everything around the creative piece so that you create space for the creative piece. And then that enables you to do your best work because, you know, how much creativity do you need for sending a client an invoice and then following up and making sure it gets paid. Certain things require more creativity and you want to also then make sure, again, you, you don't want to go down to the painstaking detail. I remember hearing a, um, a discussion with uh, Reid Hoffman. Oh, was it Reid Hoffman? It was the guy behind Netflix and he was talking about when they were systemizing their business and he said, oh, you have to be careful with systems because there was a time there where we we wanted to make sure that our systems were dummy proof. So we absolutely systemized everything to the nth degree to the McDonald's level. And then he said, so we made them dummy proof. But the only problem was only dummies wanted to come and work for us. And I thought, <laughs> wow. So it's that's there, interesting. <laughs> there is a fine line that you need to find, which um, you still want to be able to give great team members the rules of the game, you want to be able to quickly get them up to speed. You know, if they're brand new to the organization, the aim of the game, and I, I did some work with Michael Gerber, and um, I remember him saying, see your business as a school, and you want to get uh, one of those new students who doesn't know anything up to a point where they can be quite productive, and you want to do that in the shortest amount of time. So it is about being a school. Systems are about taking someone 80% of the way there and then maybe they work with a more senior team member who really helps them on the job to complete that that final 20%. Um, there's a lot to that. And I mean, I've got a few other directions that we can head in with that. But um, what are your initial feelings on that? Does that help to address some of the concerns? Or do you still have that feeling like, no, but Dave, you're missing the point? It's a good question. I mean, my theory, my philosophy here is that I think we as human beings, we go through what I call waves, right? So there's moments when you are um, in a process-orientated mode, and there's what, what, there's moments when you're in a creative-orientated mode. Like, so for example, just this morning, right? Uh, you know, since I've been at work, 
um, you know, I got in and I started running through my email and responding to my clients. And I was very much in a, I'm here to crank things out. I'm here to get through my backlog of things that I need to, uh, to deal with, to, to add value to my clients. But then um, a little bit later on, I was getting into building some new pages on my website uh, for a new initiative that I've got up and running. And I really enjoyed that, right? So there's kind of like that creative, that creative mode. And I think the thing I've always been striving for is how do you create as much value in your business as possible um, and, and make sure that you can build as much predictabli- predictability into it but in a way that still feels fun and loose and creative. And I don't, mm. I don't know whether this is just m- more me because part of the reason why I only run – part of the reason why I run my business the way I do and I, don't, I haven't wanted to build out a full agency of consultants is because I really value the, the flexibility and the freedom that I have with it. Like I, uh, you know, I, I, I enjoy that. So I've found that business processes for me are most effective when applied to how I work with other people. Yes. But in terms of how I manage myself, that's a whole different ballgame. <laughs> you are very self-aware, um, I, and I love it. Um, and I'll tell there was a story, and I talk about this one um, in the book. Where um, so so what was one of the big turning points for me was I we, we my wife and I found out we were pregnant, and I right. thought uh, I was working really long hours at the, that point in time, and I thought to myself, I don't want to be the dad who's always too busy working early mornings, late nights and weekends. So I thought, right, something needs to change. So I started down this journey of business systemization. I ended up hiring a CEO and she was a really strong uh, lady who was, we created this really interesting dynamic where she could, um, we both had the same objective in mind and we wanted the business to do well. We wanted to make sure that we got me out of it. It also meant she was able to push back on me and I trusted her enough when she would push back on me to kind of re-look at it and go, hang on, do I need to put my ego in check here? And I remember uh, one time uh, I had a habit being the business owner of outreaching to team members. If I had a presentation or something going and I had to get a slide deck done, I'd reach out to the team member, usually you know, a few days before, and I'd say, hey, I'm presenting later this week. I need you to create this slide deck. Um, this is a top priority because anything that I was working on obviously was the most important thing. So you had to prioritize it for me. So they would prioritize it for me, but then the flow and effect for all of the client work would be would mean they'd start to miss deadlines. Now, Melissa was quite good at managing the team and meeting the client expectations, all those sorts of things. And here I was continually coming in and throwing a monkey wrench in it and throwing things out by going, oh, yes, drop everything, work on what Dave's doing. And I did that once or twice and Melissa kind of said, look, we have a way of doing things. Work gets delegated out and we manage the workloads and then we pop it on the calendar and we assign the due date in Asana. Now, I I said, yep, okay, I I get what you're saying. You want me to make sure I follow the process whenever I'm working with the team. And I did that for about two weeks and then I forgot and I went back into my old habits and I remember emailing our graphics person to get something done. And Melissa saw me do it. And then the later that day, I see this note in Asana, a bulletin board, and she's tagged the entire team on it. And it basically says, next time Dave comes to you with an urgent task and he assigns it to you directly or contacts you through email or Slack directly, I want you to ignore him. We have a process and a way of doing things here, the way that things get sort of done. And 
everybody follows this process. And at the time, I was like, how dare you do that? I am the business owner. I am clearly the most important person here, or so I thought for some reason. Um, and, And for her to do that pushback and then I kind of a few things happened for me that clicked in my brain. I thought if I want her to take responsibility for the way that the business runs and I want it to fall on her so that everything doesn't always come back to me, the buck needs to stop with her and the team needs to know that the buck stops with her and they need to know that no one is above the rules on the way things are done. And Melissa said, look, when you're working with your executive assistant, Dave, you can do however you want. You can, you know, sit in a room and put yellow sticky notes up on the walls and scribble all over the floor if that's the way that you want to get your work done. But when you come in and you work with the rest of the team, it's like you're coming into someone else's house and you need to be respectful. You take your shoes off at the door, you're polite, you walk in, you follow the rules, and then that's the way that that gets done. So I, I got it at that point. And then she said, wow, look, yeah. You you break team members, she said, when for your executive assistant, when and we tried it two or three times where we hired an executive assistant. They worked with me for about a year and a half, and then we tried to move them in to work with the rest of the team. None of them could actually do it because the way that I I work when I'm working one-on-one with them is very different. I'm, you know, middle of the night, rapid fire, sending out, you know, 10 emails, 10 slacks, handful of things in Asana. I'm sending a little voice memo on my phone and it all goes through this executive assistant because that's just the way that my creative mind works. But I've now trained her to capture these ideas and then basically insert it into the rest of the system. So if I'm throwing a task, it's the job of that executive assistant to catch that, then get it into Asana. And so there's a few things that started to change, but I think... um, that's okay. Um, and, and one last example I'll mention with that, I remember doing what gave me the permission to do this. I, I worked on a few projects with Michael Gerber, the guy who wrote The E-Myth, and he yeah. is known as like the godfather of business systems, yet he is so like, I, I don't want to use this word, but I, I, no other way to explain it. Go um, on, say it. Dis- Go on, say it. Disorganized and... <laughs> Like he's a creative. He's amazing at thinking these big, thick, big pictures and bringing it into the world. But he is not a systems guy. He has built all of these systems around him and people who follow process so he can do just what he does best. And he does it in his own unique way and he doesn't screw with that process. But he does, the rest of his business has a way that it functions. And, and that's yeah. a real key insight on understanding also that your staff are probably different. Your staff aren't you. They're probably not visionary creatives. They're so, so they, if there's a way of doing things and the team reaches that point where they say, this is how we do things here, then that it's a different dynamic for them. It, it, it almost seems like just getting, um, and, and I guess this is a question for you, David, is it seems like getting that sense of awareness of the style and the the operating norms of an individual will go a long way in smoothing how that individual works with other people. It reminds me, um, a previous guest that I had here on the podcast, um, Liz McCabe, and she's she's absolutely wonderful. She's an executive coach. Um, 
And I remember her talking about how there is just a style to how the clients that she works with, you know, there is a style to each of them. And part of her, the puzzle for her is figuring out what that style is. And then shortly after that, I had Catherine um, who came on, um, who's another executive coach who kind of built on top of what Liz was saying and was talking about Enneagrams, like these personality tests where people can figure out which of these personality buckets they, they tend to sit in. Is that something that happens when people are designing business systems? I mean, your example of working with your assistant, working with the rest of the team, I think is such a wonderful example of different styles of working. There's not necessarily an intrinsically wrong way of doing things. It's just like a different, almost like, almost mm. like different cultures coming together, right? But yeah. is there an active element of saying, okay, well, David works this way, and therefore we need to figure out what is the business system that's going to connect you with the team and what is the way that, that you know Melissa works and other members of the team? Is that part of, the, of doing this well? Because I've not really heard of a lot of businesses who who really do that to any great Yeah. Level. Look, it, it, part of it depends on the, the team and also um, – the existing team, when you're making this change, you're actually making a change to the culture. When you start to insert systems thinking into the way that you do things, you, you want people to start to think in terms of systems. You start to build it into your recruiting and your onboarding process. And what ends up happening when you do that, every new team member that comes on board is already indoctrinated into the way of doing things. The biggest resistance that you get is usually from team members who've already been in the business prior to you making this change. It's also one of the reasons why I say once you get above, you know, 20, 25, 30 staff, um, systemizing and changing this culture actually gets exponentially more difficult because people get stuck and set in their ways. And then you're saying, hey, we have to change the way that we're doing things here. And they go, well, why do I need to change? It's I've always done it this way and it's worked just fine. Now, right. When you get the recruitment and onboarding right, all of that programming happens in up front. So you'll actually find people will start to go, oh, this is how we do things here earlier. Um, right. There are some team members like the business owner um, that um, they, they, they're offering something else um, with this unique thinking, like the whole real goal of the business owner, where you do your best work, it's the classic Michael Gerber. And I keep bringing mm. him up because I learn a lot from him. But it's, yeah. I mean, we all know the work on it, not in it. So, right. a business owner, when they can work on it more than they work in it, that means they're actually working outside of the system. I talked about the business being a system right at the start. On it means you're just outside of that. So um, when, when you're operating outside of the system, that's when you can break the rules and do things differently. But when you're right. interacting in with the system, then that's when you need to follow the rules. So if there are other team members, it depends on where they sit. If they're working at, on it, then yes, maybe that, that, that's a good case for it. But when they're in the system, there are just rules of the game that need to be right. followed. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, I think it's, it's so fascinating because it really is this combination of psychology and, and workflow. One, one question I do have for you is about the life cycle here, right? So I'm going to use an example that where I first really kind of discovered this. I used to work for a company called Canonical, and we built this 
platform for computers and the cloud and devices called Ubuntu, and it's still around today. Um, and one of the things that was pretty interesting about um, Ubuntu is that we would pump out a new version of Ubuntu once every six months. And in that six-month cycle, there were a series of key milestones, right? So at the beginning of the cycle, we'd get together and we'd talk about what we want to do in the release. We'd form it an Ubuntu Developer Summit. And then they those would be formed into specifications, and those specifications would be approved, and then the work would happen. And then there'd be various, you know, dates in that cycle. There'd be, uh, you know, a beta release and a beta 2 release, and there'd be a freeze at some point where no more new features will be built and we'd just be focusing on bug fixing. So this was just a giant business process, right? You know, um, and one of the things that I found fascinating when I joined, I joined the company a couple of years into it being formed was that every time we ran this, this, this cycle, we learned a little bit more about how it worked, right? So at the beginning, for example, picking from all of these different ideas and deciding what we're going to work on in Ubuntu it was like the Wild West. It was a complete and utter mess, and it was a bit of a disaster. But each time we ran one of these six-month cycles, it gave us an opportunity to have a conversation about how did it go this time around and have a conversation mm -hmm. about are these the right deadlines? Are these the right processes? Is this too cumbersome? Is this not efficient enough? And I found that repeating it on a cadence and then mm -hmm. being able to discuss it was half the value of keeping the, the 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 process front and center, and it really kind of instilled in me a notion of like a cycle is a really powerful way of 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 iterating and improving on a regular basis. Do you need to do the same thing? I mean, for an operating system that comes out every six months, that's mm. a very logical way of working. But not everything can yeah. can operate in a cycle. So how do you keep these processes or these business systems front and center so that they don't they don't just get lost in the mix because i my worry yeah. here is that someone creates a business system and then people become slaves to the system and then it doesn't evolve and improve because mm. people just that's just the way things work around here so th there's a few ways to tackle this uh firstly uh, I talk about getting that base set of systems into place to run your business. And we started off with critical client flow. Later right. on in the systemology process, you also look at what systems are required for scale. So mm. some of those might be management systems, recruitment systems, there might be finance systems. Um, there, there's a handful of other systems that have to get into place first. I always say first get that as your minimum baseline. Then after that, the next thing I like to do is we put a dashboard into place. It's actually the last stage in systemology, which is optimize. And what right. that enables you to do is then listen to the business. And you want to look at it, like have a collection of your key numbers that you're spotting and you have a mechanism for the way that you identify when an issue happens and that issue then gets captured. And then, yes, you've got some sort of meeting where there's a regular cadence to then discuss those problems and then how right. they can be fixed at the systems level. So rather than trying to systemize everything in the business, I like to go, where is the problem? And then how do we find the system solution to fix that? So right. that's right. There's a period you go through where you just you solve problems in a systems perspective. Over time, they'll be, you know, at least initially they're little problems and you figure out a solution, you solve it once, and then you move on to a bigger quality problem. Over time, you only start focusing on these really high quality problems. And that's usually where the business owner does their best work. Now, there might be certain systems that 
you want to revisit, I generally, for most people, just to make it simple, I tell them just for now, focus on when things go wrong. Don't go, oh, every 12 months we have to completely review this system and go, is this the right thing to do? Um, Right. At least until we get the business to a certain state. And then once you actually get to that state, you move into process improvement, which is actually very different methodologies to systemology. Systemology is about capturing what you're currently doing and moving everybody up to that best practice. When we talk about process improvement, that's when we start talking about things like Lean and Six Sigma. Um, but you can't do process improvement until you have a process. And and systemology actually comes the step before because some people, they don't really even have that process down. And that's that's the big problem that I'm really focusing on solving. Ah, uh, interesting. Interesting. So I know we're kind of um, kind of edging towards the end of our discussion here. Um, what do you think needs to change to make this world of, of clearer, more agile, more focused, more high value business systems a broader reality? Like if you had a magic wand and you could wave it um, in companies, what would happen? Or what would you change so this, for this to become more, more of a thing? The first thing that needs to happen is the business owner, they need to lead it because that's what a leader does. They have to lead from the front. So they have to get it and they have to go, this is something that we want to do. Then they need to have the insight that I can own a system-centered business, even though I might not see myself as a systems person. Then they need to identify who in the business is going to be the real champion, the yin to their yang to help drive this. and then. One of the other big secrets of systemology, and it's a very simple one, it's just this idea that creating business systems and and processes, it's a two-person job. You've got the person who has the knowledge, and then you've got the person who documents or records or captures. If you split the two apart, that actually makes the process infinitely easier because Mm. then you, you... identify what needs to be captured, and then that second person helps to record it and pull out the document. And then you go back to the knowledgeable worker and you say, hey, here's what I captured um, from you because everybody loves to edit. Nobody likes to write from a blank page. But if you you go to a knowledgeable person and you say, hey, here's what I learned by watching you do your thing, um, just little distinctions like that. And um, if I can light a fire for someone when they listen to this audio to rethink what they think about business systems, to retest those assumptions, to go, oh, maybe I've just approached it wrong to this point in time. Maybe there is a better way. Maybe this can happen for me. And they realize that they need business systems if they want it to grow beyond them. Like that that's what my work is about. It's really trying to move the business owner to that point. And then I want to give them the the roadmap. So, I mean, maybe in a self, yeah. self-serving way, I think what needs to happen is every business owner needs to go out and buy themselves a copy of Systemology, head over to Amazon. Yeah. Like that, that's, that's the whole purpose of that book. That's what that's there to do. Yeah. Well, I think, I think that sounds like a great place for people to start. Um, before, because I do want you to, to, to share with listeners how they can uh, go and find out more about, about the book and how they can how how, could, how they can engage with you. But I do have one final question, 
which has been on my mind for a while. And that is, what is the role of, um, I don't even know how to answer, ask this question. Like, what is the role of resource availability on this? So again, I'm going to mm. pull from a, a personal experience here be, that, as I mentioned earlier on, I run my own business and I've got a whole bunch of assistants and people, contractors who work for me. Um, but I've explicitly wanted to keep the core of my business very small and very focused. And I think one of the benefits of doing so, even though this wasn't the intention, is that it's basically forced me to be um, very cognizant of lean, efficient, focused systems. Because it's not like I, I can just have three or four people who work for me full time and I can say, go and do all this kind of stuff, right? I just, mm -hmm. my goal is I want to squeeze as much value out of me into the world as possible and maintain that level of flexibility. So I think it's made me focus more on processes because if I can drive efficiencies in a way that I can't drive it today, then I can squeeze more value out. And I worry sometimes, especially in larger corporations where there's just, um, there's like a bureaucracy tax, mm. right? That 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 sometimes people will become less hungry for that because they've got a preponderance of resources that are available to them. So do you find that smaller companies or people who've got less to play with tend to be more hungry for this kind of stuff? Or is that just a misnomer? I think they're like businesses will go through different cycles and depending on where they're up to in different stages. So um, you know, at the that end, I was talking about you know the, the five to twenty five staff. That that's a real sweet spot for systemology. If you're smaller than that, then oftentimes there's no point in over optimizing and engineering your systems because you're not going to get any real leverage from them. At the other right. end, it becomes more challenging because you know if you're bigger, then um, now it becomes harder to change culture. You might already have certain processes in place. And then, you know, we start to talk about the process improvement type thing. So yep. if, if you're in the sweet spot, what you want to do is find out who is naturally drawn to this stuff. There are systems and a process person and you give them a copy of the book and you say, you're my systems champion and, you know, I'm the business owner and this is what I do and I need your help to drive this. Um, and you mm. do, it might not be a full-time role. Maybe it's a return to work mum or dad and they're doing 10, 15 hours a week and you chip away at it over the next six to 12 months or something like that. And they are the ones, they become the the documenter um, and then they work with the knowledgeable workers, which is your staff. So, yeah, but yeah. I'm, uh, and I, I hate to kind of, because I, I think we could just about keep going for another hour or two. I, I happen to have another call just yeah, off the we back gotta, of this. No, well, let's, we, 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 let's wrap it up. Um, and I really appreciate you coming on. Um, I really appreciate you coming on. This has been such an interesting discussion. Tell us real quick yeah. where people can find out more. Yeah, just head over to systemology.com forward slash book. From there, links through to Amazon and Audible and those sorts of places. If you want to get the template from what we talked about today, that critical client flow, that's just at systemology.com forward slash academy. So, but wonderful. Look, there's, there's plenty of stuff on YouTube and on social media, and I'm, I'm happy to help, or at the very least, I can try and point you in the right direction. Wonderful. David, it's been a real pleasure. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Thank you.